Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Gay Side Stories, where the gay shit goes. I am your host, Trillificent. I am back for another week. Had to take a week off, you know, I had to get my paperwork and everything together so that I could get my ass to Wakanda. But I am here now. We are going to stay in Wakanda for this episode. So I'm not going to start the episode off with any of the usual things. I'm going to get right into it. You guys, I talked about this on the last episode, maybe about how excited I was for Black Panther. It's finally out. It's been out for what, two weeks now? I have seen this movie four times in the past week. One of them was in 3D, IMAX, RPX, whatever they want to call it. I feel like I got gypped a little bit with the 3D, but you know, maybe it was the theater because I just felt like there were a lot of missed opportunities to really make something jaw-dropping and eye-popping. You know, I mean, there were some opportunities where, you know, they could have made even T'Chaka's eyes get right. But I felt like they were missed in the 3D. Anyway, it's not about that. I'm here. We're going to talk about the Black Panther. So uh, I want to start off by saying this is not going to be like an all-encompassing review. That's already been done by tons of podcasts. Like I said, the movie has already been out for two weeks. And I listened to a review of Black Panther recently on a podcast. And you got to pick and choose sometimes. And, and that's not shade because the simple truth is everything isn't for everybody. I listened to this review and it was just terrible. Like they they weren't getting the names right. They weren't getting the details from the movie right. And it was just all bad. And I realized that that's harsh, but you have to understand that Black Panther is everything. Beyond the fact that I stand for this movie, I'm just thinking if you're a black podcaster or a group of black podcasters and you're going to review Black Panther, if you're going to half-ass at any other time, let it not be when it's time to review Black Panther. Like at the very least, you could have Googled the people's names and had them written down so that you would say them halfway correctly during the review. But I digress. You know, um, they, whatever. That is their business. So for all other things Black Panther, I would suggest finding like a comic book type podcast. I'm sure that they're doing spoiler filled and spoiler free in-depth reviews. Uh, Crown and Collards with my friend Jeremy and Bianca. They had a really good discussion on their podcast last week about Black Panther. So check that out. So let's get into a few of of the things. This is I'm not sure how long this episode is going to be. I just have some thoughts on uh, the characters and the reception and some observations and some questions. And then I'm going to get out of here. And next week, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled gay ass or lgbt as programming so first up the reception of the movie and (laughs) the obvious success i'm not i'm not going to run down all of the numbers you can look that stuff up for yourself there's articles on forbes and all kinds of different reputable places but the most recent reports are saying that this movie black panther has made 700 billion plus dollars worldwide and it is projected to pass the $1 billion mark. I'm going to be honest. Like I said before, I've seen this movie four times. I'm tempted to go see it another four times just so that I can do my part to get this movie to the $1 billion mark. That has never been done. Like that is, that would be groundbreaking, history making, rump shaking, just deliciousness. Black, black people joy if This movie with the predominantly, and I mean predominantly, black cast with a black story set in a, albeit fictional, a black country making a billion dollars. Albeit it's a superhero movie, but you know what? There's something about Black Panther that, to an extent, it, 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 elevates itself beyond just superhero because he didn't really 
feel like a superhero during this movie. And I think that's just because of the way the story was told. It wasn't a bunch of running around and saving innocent people like in New York City or something like that. So I think that that's what lended to it didn't feel like a superhero movie. Either way, I just want to do my part. All right. I just want to be a good citizen of Wakanda. I don't mind paying my taxes. I see where the money is going. It's going to great things. So I would encourage you to, if you have the time and you have the resources, see it a couple more times. Help get it to that $1 billion mark. I'm probably going to. I may take a week off just because, like I said, I've seen it every other day for the past week. So I, I need a little bit of a break. But that is that is definitely something to strive for. And I really hope that it hits that mark. Now, the movie is critically acclaimed. We all know that on Rotten Tomatoes, which I personally take with a grain of salt, but it seems to be something that people look towards. The re the reviews are very, very high. I think it's still sitting on like 97 or 96 percent. The, the script was amazing. The acting was great. It really is from start to finish a fantastic film. And it's not just like I said earlier, it's not just fantastic for a superhero film because there are so many layers there's so much depth to the story and to the characters that it goes beyond just well this is captain america and how is he gonna get from wherever he is to kicking booty to saving the day who's gonna save the day on this in this movie you know is it gonna be iron man is it gonna be uh hawkeye or um, hawkeye's mm, well good luck everybody anyway great 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 so i'm we knew it was going to be successful but to just see it i feel like exceeding most people's expectations it, it just does the heart good it does this black heart good this wakandan heart good so i want to talk a little bit about the story and the characters i thought that the story was a it was a good story but what really stands out to me is that the story was so well thought out and even then because i you, you know we've all seen movies where the story is well thought out but the execution is boo-boo story well thought out the execution i felt like was very 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 close to perfection like there are some things that you can always criticize but as far as not it's not an origin story but as far as a story that really introduces the background of a character i thought that they did an amazing job it wasn't heavy-handed in areas and then too light in some areas the pacing was was pretty good and it really told the story you got what you needed from the story you got answers to why characters are behaving certain ways some instances it raised more questions but i mean that's just with the movie you only have two hours you can't give an in-depth background to every character and every character that you like unfortunately or fortunately is not going to get that in-depth background but where we needed it we got it and it made sense so kudos to the storytelling so I really have the least to say about T'Challa. I know T'Challa was the star. Shout out to Chadwick Boseman, who was just, that's, he's a good looking man. Like, and seeing him with his shirt off and Chadwick is just a good looking man. And I think what adds to to that is he's so talented. Like when you think about, he hasn't been on the scene that long. And you think about the roles that he's played, Jackie Robinson and Thurgood Marshall. It's like, he that's a talented man and he's from like south carolina so <laughs> but anyway t'challa was the least interesting character and that doesn't take away it doesn't say it's not saying that he was not interesting at all but when you look at all of the characters and you look at all the elements he probably was the least interesting now i really enjoyed his journey i i enjoyed seeing his compassion throughout the film even during the fights that was the most interesting thing to me about him because it's not often that you get to see 
a man, a black man in his position. He's a monarch. He's a king. He's a, a superhero. He he is all of these things. And to see him have that level of compassion and that level of reverence for the people around him, you know, it wasn't a lot. I mean, there were, I think there were one or two instances where it's like, okay, his arrogant, he's a little arrogant, but it's not like most superhero things where it's like, they're so arrogant. And you're like, I wish you would just shut up and listen to the people around you. Like with T'Challa, you didn't really have that. And if he was getting a little bit too big for his kitty britches somebody was around usually a black woman was around to be like um i don't know what you thought this is but when i speak you listen so i appreciated that about t'challa now let's move on to killmonger because i know there's a lot of controversy with the killmonger character i think that that was the intent again it goes to great writing and my <laughs> so this is not shade but i really feel like Michael B. Jordan did a fantastic job as Killmonger. I've never really been one to think that his acting was very strong. Now, mind you, I have not seen his other Ryan Coogler ventures. And maybe there has been a level of improvement that I've missed. But the few movies that I had seen with him in them, I was like, I mean, he alright, but he ain't just... He ain't just, oh my God, it's the next coming of Denzel or, or some shit like that. But seeing him in this movie, like he really executed and I was thoroughly impressed. And I was also very, 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 very happy that they did the story in a way where he did not have to do an African accent. Again, that's not shade. It may sound shady, but whatever. I, You know, this movie has made me appreciate michael b jordan and it's not just because he looked fucking sexy as hell in the movie but i just think he did a fantastic job so killmonger and a lot of people are saying that he is a representation of black american anger and i can see that i think he brought back an element of black radicalism that we have not seen in a while recently like it, i can't think of any examples in like a movie or something where we've seen that level of radicalism in a character where they're like oh yeah i'm about to start world war three even though i'm not gonna call it that that's essentially what it is you know i'm a, i'm a disguise it as liberating people all over the world but really anyway that's a, a different point but what I appreciated about him is that he was about that action. And I always enjoy a villain with a revenge plan that takes years to formulate and execute. I don't know why that gets me so hyped. But whenever I see a movie and it's like, oh, yeah, I've been plotting this for 20 years. I'd be like, yes, come on, patient, evil motherfucker. Yes. It reminds me of this old Xbox game that I used to play called Jade Empire. I actually still play it. I have it on my computer. Anyway. So Jade Empire was a game set in like feudal China times. It was an emperor and his two brothers. The youngest was the leader of like their spiritual group, the monks and whatnot. And the middle brother was the leader of the military. And they called him the glorious strategist. Like he was so smart and had such, such a, a fine talent for coming up with plans and things like that. They called him the glorious strategist. And they assault a deity to end the drought and steal her power. Basically, the the empire had been experiencing 10 years of drought. And so in order to do something about it, they decided, hey, here's this deity called the water dragon. We're going to go attack and steal her power. That way we can end the drought. Well, of course, the middle brother wanted the power for himself, the glorious strategist. And so as soon as the emperor stole a power, they tried to attack him, but he was already too powerful. So the younger brother died and some other stuff happened to him. The middle brother fleed, but as he was fleeing, he kidnapped the last baby of the monastery where they attacked. Like, of course, you know how deities are. They have to have monks and whatnot to worship them and do their worldly tasks for them, which is like, okay, girl. Anyway, 
So they they slaughtered all of the monks. There was one baby left. He stole a baby. He took this baby and raised, I mean, it was a newborn, like three days old. He raised this child for 20 years, taught them how to fight. I say them because it's one of those things where you get to choose what character you want to be and they have both men and women. Taught this baby how to fight and set a plan in, mo like laid out this long plan. Again, this is 20 years in the making. Laid out this long, intricate plan where he would get kidnapped and then the student, the monk child, would have to go on a journey to save him and in doing so would have a final showdown with the emperor f release the deity's power and then you would think all would be right with the world however as soon as you do all that then your master betrays you and kills you so now you a dead monk child and the glorious strategist has the power of the deity and then the rest of the game is finding a way to come back to life and then taking on your former master but i love that game so much and the same thing with black panther i love it so much looking at a plan that takes so long to execute and come to fruition because it's just you think about the amount of planning and brain power and just knowledge and research and making connections and everything that you have to do in order to execute a plan that will take years to formulate. And it's crazy because you think about Killmonger, he's been at this since he was a little boy, ever since he was, what they say, 19 when he graduated from wherever. Da, 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 da. I did the math and I wanna say he was about 33 in the, in the movie, give or take a couple years. So you think about he started like his actual action of his plan when he was like 19 and then all the way up to 33 when he all of that planning those years of planning and working and training and then what happened in the movie was like a couple days <laughs> you know what i mean it's like years and years and years of planning for a couple of days of action baby but hey it is what it is um yeah more on killmonger in a little bit so to balance out Killmonger's militants, we have Nakia. And compassion and selflessness and the desire to do good is really what she what she embodied in this movie. And I believe she plays a bit of T'Challa's conscience to an extent. They have that connection, you know, they used to be lovers or whatever, or at least they used to date. You know, I don't know what their customs are like over there, so I don't want to... I'm not trying to check nobody's uh, pussy or dick facts, but we know that they have a an emotional connection. Like this, this man, all in his Black Panther suit, sees her and can't even speak, even after being like Okoye told him, "Don't freeze." And he's like, "What are you talking about? I never freeze." Okay, whatever, nigga. Got down there. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> So that, that scene is actually kind of cute. Anyway, so I believe that she played a bit of his conscience. She was there to, to chin check him when she needed to verbally. Like even when he was about to give claw the claws, she was there along with Okoye to be like, hey, the whole world is watching. Like watch what, you, you know, what you're doing. Retract them claws. But she was complex enough, you know, to stand on her own as her own character it wasn't just she's over here in t'challa's ear and that's her role like she had a whole different role she was fighting she had intense scenes with her sister okoye she just she she was that freedom fighter she embodied that freedom fighter type vibe and you know do-gooder all of that good stuff but she really delivered on that and was more than just T'Challa at the center of everything. Even though he was, she still had her own mission and she still had her own things that she needed to do for herself, for T'Challa and for Wakanda. So I really appreciated Nakia. Plus, I mean, it goes without saying that Lupita Nyong'o is 
gorgeous. This is one of the first times I've seen her in a movie because I I did not do 12 Years a Slave. I know that she did an amazing job, but that's just, I don't have that mental fortitude. But she, seeing her on screen, seeing her skin, and there was something, I don't know if it's because I'm dark skinned or if, I'm, if I was just emotional at the time, but there's something about seeing her, seeing T'Challa be so gaga over her and she's darker than him. That just warmed my heart. Um, but yeah, Lupita is gorgeous. She's, you know, all of that good stuff. But her ass in this movie and the outfits, the way they accentuated. Anyway, that's creepy. But I mean, it was just there. It's like, even if you weren't trying to look forward, she turned around, especially in the scene when she and Okoye were arguing right after Killmonger took the throne. And she walked away and that walk and mm, anyway, anyway, anyway. Whew, okay, moving on. Shuri. Now, Shuri was one of, if not the best characters in the movie. I loved her her representation of youth, of, of, of innovation in the future. Shuri was like an African teen summit from <laughs> BET back in the day. And I love how she gave an example or she was really showing how tradition can be preserved while still making strides toward the future you know like when Mbaku accused her of scoffing at tradition and it's like but then you look at all of the traditional things that she did yeah she had some humor in it but she still dressed up in in the traditional garb for T'Challa's ceremony she was doing the dances when they were on the river going towards the ceremony like technology is all around her and that's where she focuses but she's not just flat out saying well y'all doing this wrong because it's old you know we don't need tradition we need innovation she's not doing that she's innovating in the gaps where tradition and and <clears throat> and modern times don't meet if that makes sense so i really 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 enjoy shuri her lines and her boldness throughout the film are what I appreciated the most. Like, she was not scared of anybody. She didn't give a fuck. She was speaking up. She didn't. She wasn't scared of Killmonger. He come in here big and bad, speaking all that, talking all that trash. She was like, I'll tell your ass exactly who you are. And even when it was just her and Nakia, and then Nakia got trapped. She got trashed. She got tossed to the side like trash. Sure, it was like, okay, well, I got my blasters. What's up? You know, even when he was about to stab her, she was like, you'll never be a king, you old bitch ass nigga. She didn't say the last part, obviously, but you get my drift. So, and you have to remember, because I often have to remind myself, Shuri is only 16 in this movie. So we noticed, I mean, we knew that she was a genius whiz kid, but it's the... It's the bravery and the boldness at 16 that really stood out to me. And I think that she is an amazing princess for little girls to look up to. Like to see that, not just I'm a pretty girl and I like pretty things, even though there's nothing wrong with that. It's more than that because she kept herself very well groomed. She knows she had, her braids were always tight, but then she was also, I'm smart. I'm a genius. Look at this stuff that I come up with. And then she's also, I ain't scared of nobody. What's up? We can we can get down if we want to. Like those elements I love seeing. And I love the fact that little black girls are seeing it now and will be seeing it in the future. Um, Moving on. Whew, okay. Mr. M'Baku or Lord M'Baku. <clears throat> okay, I'm gonna try not to lust too much. I really enjoy seeing his journey as well, like from seemingly a staunch protector of tradition or whatever, which I think I guess is what the Jabari was kind of supposed to be, which is why or maybe a reason why they they did not want to interact with the rest of Wakanda. Like they they excluded themselves because maybe they had different ideals of what they should be doing and they knew that the vibranium was going to spearhead and charge them 
into some futuristic stuff that they weren't trying to have. Like, they're all about tradition. So, to see him go from that, a staunch protector of tradition, to coming to everybody's aid in the end, it was just good to see. Like, it's good to see that that growth, even though we don't get too, too much of him. We get enough that we understand how he got from A to B. And that's another thing that I appreciate about the movie. It's not just the out of the blue. Here comes Mbaku and the rest of the Jabari. And you're like, what the hell? Uh, in my opinion, he was arguably another one of the best characters of the movie. He, the actor Winston Duke, definitely had the best accent and delivery of his lines. Like, there was something about the way that he was delivering his lines that just struck me. And it wasn't like a lustful, I mean, you know, there's a level of that too. But it wasn't just a lustful thing. It was just, it just felt so authentic the way he was speaking. It wasn't just, I'm using this accent and here are the things that I'm going to say as my character. Like you really felt like this is M'Baku, the way he was speaking, especially at Warriors Falls. When he was giving that speech and he was like, we will not have it. I was like, come on. I was like, I was like, is I really am in I really am in Africa. Just the inflection and the way that he said it. You know, I'm thinking about conversations that I've had with people with that African accent and the way that they deliver and say things and you're like, "Why you say, we will not have it? Why you say it like that? Why it's not we will not have it?" No, it's just I don't know. Maybe that's just me being weird, but I just really enjoyed the way he delivered his lines. And I also enjoyed how they they showed the the Jabari being quote unquote savage to a degree, but they weren't unreasonably so, and it wasn't a detriment to them or the rest of Wakanda in the end. So that I appreciated that as well. So moving on to Okoye, Okoye was my favorite character of the movie. Um, she just I don't know it was just something about her. Now Okoye was the general of the Dora Milaje. And I can't think of another powerful representation of the black woman in recent years outside of this character that was delivered the way that it was. I'm not saying that there are movies where black women are not powerful or not strong or that they're not doing what they what is necessary because that's what black women do. But when you put all of the elements together of what Okoye was, a warrior a sister, uh, a lover, a general, uh, a confidant. And seeing how none of those elements took away from her as a whole and she was able to deliver on all of them. Like even in the scene where they're watching um, whatever the white man's, I forget his name. And I like the actor, I like Martin Freeman. But they're watching him interrogate Claw or even up to that, just hearing her, that that strength, and it's just, you know, I know it's a Dora Milaje thing, but, I mean, it's the first time we've seen Dora Milaje, so that was my favorite thing about her. Like, she was, as soon as you saw Okoye on the screen, when they were in the ship going to pick up Nakia, the first thing you see is her, and she's doing this pose, she's flying the ship, and she's just emanating beauty and style and grace and strength you just look at her and be like this is a bad bitch and she hadn't even opened her mouth yet she hadn't done anything and then the next thing you see when t'challa is telling her she don't have to come down and that look she gave i was like and then it's like a little and i think that's what i appreciated the most like all of the style and the grace and the beauty and the strength but then it's like sprinkling a little bit of black woman like black mama because that look that she gave him like oh i don't need to go down okay okay sure don't freeze then my nigga since you don't want me to come down so okoye was definitely my favorite character she just had so much passion and heart throughout the film it really felt like it was jumping off the screen like if anything was in 3d it was her passion in her heart even when she basically was having a breakdown because she realized as the general of the Dormelage she had to serve Killmonger as the new king 
And I saw some stuff that was saying, oh, she should have took him out from the beginning. And that could go, you know, I can see arguments on both sides of that. Because on the one hand, you think she should have taken them out from the beginning and not let it get to where it was. But at the same time, you have to realize if if it's up to her judgment on if it's always going to be up to her judgment about who can be king. But then you run into problems because. Granted, you know, you don't expect there to be multiple kings while she's in the door Malaje, but just on an overall scale, if someone is in that position where they're loyal to the throne or they they're loyal and you have to wonder, are you loyal to the person or are you loyal to the throne? If they're loyal to the person, then that creates its own set of problems versus if they're loyal to the throne, which also creates its own set of problems. Like there's no, in my opinion, there's really no right answer on that. And I think that she did what she, what she could. I also feel like she was doing what was necessary to make sure that the people that she loved had a chance to get away because had she revolted immediately who knows what would have happened who knows what he had planned in case people didn't get with the program right away you know lucky for him when he killed zuri and everything like everybody was just sitting there like oh well shit this nigga did and they i mean they knew they couldn't do anything with t'challa but nobody even like <laughs> nobody gave zuri his roses or nothing they were like well shit what we gonna do Let's serve this motherfucker for he fuck us up too. So I can, I appreciated that struggle that she had. And then coming to it at the end and being like, you're not fit to be king. You got too much hate in your heart. We about to fuck you up. And just shout out to the door Milaje. Like all of these beautiful black bald women in different shades. Cause there were some light skinned ones seeing all of them, seeing how they moved as one. And whenever they <clears throat> double hit that and action, they know exactly what to do. They just meticulously train. Like, I just really appreciated the strength that emanated from the door Malaje. Like, imagine being T'Challa. Imagine being the king and you walking around with this gaggle of bad bitches behind you that you know probably can whoop most people's ass. Like, that just has to make you feel so good and confident. That's why T'Challa was always walking around with that big old smile on his face. Because he was like, listen, I mean, I can whoop your ass. And I got this suit I can also whoop your ass with. But then I got my team of the Bald Bad Bitch Brigade. And they gonna fuck shit up before it even comes to me. Like, the extra level of confidence that that must impart is just... Ugh. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Okay, last character that I want to highlight. There's... Tons of characters that we could, but this is the last one. Wakabi. Wakabi a bitch. I mean, there's just, there's no getting around it. There's no other way to say it. Wakabi was a whole ass bitch. What else needs to be said? He's an old Judas motherfucker. The thing that annoyed me about him is that he was so quick to turn on T'Challa. His so-called uh, heavy air quotes brother and best friend, like T'Chaka had almost 30 years and wakabi didn't lead any revolts you know as far as we know he wasn't in the he wasn't in the assembly throwing shoes at t'chaka about not catching claw but after one failed attempt that was riddled with outside factors mind you wakabi betrayed his whole country like who where they do that at where they do that at and not once did he give any thought to the fact that he was betraying his country in order to avenge his parents' death who died defending the country. Like, I know his mom and daddy was sitting in the ancestors' field pissed as fuck. I'm sure T'Chaka probably told them, no, you can't talk to T'Challa when he come over here. Y'all just need to stay over there. I know you upset, but we have a limited amount of time. We can't we can't have you trying to send messages to Wakab because y'all, I get it. All right. Y'all figure out a way to go to him in his dreams and fuck him up that way. But I just I just know they were walking around the ancestor field just pissed like just so many elements to that betrayal that just ugh, a whole bitch, a whole bitch. So uh, 
those are my characters. I'm gonna I'm gonna close this out with some observations and some questions that I have. And I don't think I've been too spoiler heavy thus far. It may get a little bit heavier now, but again, the movie's been out two weeks. I've seen it four times, so if you haven't seen it at least once, then pause or come back to this episode once you have. So first up, while I appreciate T'Challa's compassion, he was a touch too compassionate or nice, especially during combat. I feel like he was definitely holding back a bit while fighting M'Baku. I'm not sure why. Thank goodness his mama was there to yell at him to remember who he was. But even then, it's like he was intent on making M'Baku yield versus just killing him outright. And I can appreciate that too. Because it, it shows what kind of king he wanted to be. What kind of Black Panther he wanted to be. But at the same time, it's like you you let it get to this point. you know. Maybe it was a completely fair fight and he did what he had to do. I don't know. I just felt like a little bit of it was like I don't want to whoop up on him too bad. And embarrass him in front of his niggas. And now here I am getting my back split and got a bloody ass face now i got to channel my inner goku and go off on him i don't know that was just me the biggest thing that stuck out to me or stuck out to me is during his battle with killmonger and i didn't catch this the first two times that i watched it the second um the third time i watched it I was like, did I see what I thought I saw? And the fourth time I watched it, I was like, this is some bullshit. During this battle, he had two opportunities where he basically bested Killmonger. And he could have ended the fight quickly. But again, he was holding back and probably, you know, was feeling something because this was his cousin. So the first time was when he tripped Killmonger and then he had the spear in his face. He could have ended it there, but he let him get up. And that may have been a an honor thing like not striking somebody while they're down okay i'll give you that then the second one when they were fighting and he did his spear and sliced his face i'm like you could have aimed like in the chest or something like even if you didn't want to kill him you could have at least incapacitated him like mbaku stabbed your ass in the chest like you can do the same you don't have to kill him and so all that did was charge up killmonger and then and then we see what happened. T'Challa got the fuck mollywopped and thrown over a damn cliff into a river. So I'm like, Ugh. I mean, I get holding back and being in control. But during combat, when the only ways out of combat are to are to yield or die and you fighting somebody that that has already told you, I am here to kill you. That may not be the best time to hold back. You might want to release your full inner dragon. You might want to go full Bruce Leroy. Just saying. Just saying. So, another thing that I uh, wondered about is, I wonder why T'Challa didn't call Killmonger out from the beginning. Like, Killmonger was wearing the same outfit when he got to Wakanda that he had on when they saved Claw. And so I was like, well, maybe T'Challa didn't recognize it after the blast but i don't know because he was able to focus in on that ring and he had that ring so he knew that killmonger was the one that helped claw escape so it's like why were you silent on that when you could have told the council you could have told wakabi hey yeah he's the, he's a cousin he's a prince and all of that jazz and yeah my daddy killed his daddy but he also helped Claw escape. So what's up with the what's up? But he, I don't understand why he didn't. I mean, I get it, plot and and pride and all that kind of stuff. But she, had it been me, I'd have been like, you talk a good game for somebody that helped Claw escape, only to turn around and kill him and bring him here. So what what else you got up your sleeve? Because clearly this is all a plot. But all he said was, I didn't care that you broke Claw. I'm like, oh girl. Oh, that was one of those points where it's like T'Challa, you get it together, sis. Just get it together. Okay, Killmonger. While there are some things about his rhetoric that made a lot of sense, 
was a man that at the end of the day wanted to see the world burn like i get people understand and sympathize with him that he just wanted to help oppress people blah 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 but that's not all he wanted to do like that was this is my opinion but that all of that helping oppress people that was just a smoke screen because he wanted to see the world burn because he felt like as he said at the, towards the end of the movie the world took everything that he loved and so he wanted to see it burn. But you can't just come out and be like, I just want to fuck everything up and start World War Three and let the chips fall where they may. And we'll be over here strong and we'll come out on top. Probably, maybe. He, it was just, I want to see shit get fucked up because my dad was taken from me. Whatever else was taken from me. And those are not the kind of people that you want leading the revolution. Like, it's one thing to have a revolutionary cause and vision. It's another thing to have flat-out hatred be your be the factor that drives you. Because when you just hate, you don't care who gets caught in the crossfire. Like, it sounds good on paper. Yeah, we're going to send these weapons to our war dogs, and we're going to arm oppressed people. But... It's not factoring in that how many oppressed people are just looking for a come up so that they can oppress other people. And it may not be, you know, these weapons are not only going to go into the hands of people that want to liberate people. They're going, going, they're going to go into the hands of people who, as soon as I get an advantage over you sitting next to me, I'm crushing you under my heel. And damn everything else. Like, there's so many factors that go into that. So... I was like, I mean, he presented it in a good way. It sounded good when it came out of his mouth with his big, luscious lips. But when you strip back the layers, it's like you just want to see the world burn. You don't care what happens. You, you, you're you confident that Wakanda will come out on top. I'll give you that. But you don't care what happens to these people. You don't care what happens to these war dogs and and, and everything. You just want to see the world burn because you want your revenge. So... Killmonger's relationship with black women in the movie. Now, this has been analyzed back and forth, whipping the hair back and forth, whipping the dreads back and forth. Like, it's been it's been beaten to death. So the only thing that I'll say is pay attention to the glee that he has when he's manhandling black women and T'Challa versus how he interacts with other people. And that's all I'll say. Like, it's just it's very blatant and i was listening to the black guy who tips when they talked about this last week and they were saying even the director ryan coogler with his fine ass even ryan coogler was like yeah we did that on purpose like that's in the movie it's not a coincidence it's on purpose for it's there for a reason so that's all i'll say on that my next thought shuri mm, 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 mm. Shuri is going to need some hand-to-hand -hand combat lessons, or at the very least, she's going to need to come up with a way to download some some martial arts. Like, she's going to have to take it to the Matrix because the blasters were cool, and I appreciate her her gusto and her vigor to fight, and she got the blasters, and even when her blasters got broken, she went down there with Nakia and got one of them hand blaster things, spear things. Like, she was in the throes of it. She was in the mist of it all no Yolanda Adams but um when you are disarmed mama what you gonna do and I don't want to see my princess go out like that so I'm gonna need her to go train with the door Milaje or Bucky Barnes gonna have to get a temporary arm and help her like she just need a little hand-to-hand -hand combat training that's all I'm saying uh next I'm very curious as to what kind of punishment Wakabi and his tribe face for their actions. And I also wonder if the elder of his tribe was behind that or did he go rogue? My gut tells me that he went rogue. I just can't see. I don't know. Or I don't know. Like, I, it just, I don't know. It felt on the fly and it was totally his decision. He was making an emotional decision. He made the wrong fucking decision, but it is what it is. But I was just curious if his elder was behind him. And also, I was like, it's very sad to see T'Challa lose his 
his best friend. You know what I mean? I'm also curious about what's going to happen between Okoye and Wakabi, but that's a different conversation. Personally, I feel like, you know, Okoye needs to just leave that alone because I don't know how you... Honestly, I don't even know how you trust a motherfucker after that. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Wakabi got, like, banished and the rest of the tribe, maybe they got, you know, demoted in status or whatnot. But I don't know. I just... mm -hmm. Wakabi, that just really made me sad. I mean, mostly mad, but a little sad, too. So... Um, Zuri and T'Chaka, they were just playing wrong for leaving Killmonger all alone in Oakland as a little boy. I don't even know if anything else needs to be said. Like, just how you, how do you leave a child like that? And not only any child, a Wakandan child at that. And then his justification, I chose my people. I chose Wakanda. No, you didn't because you left the piece of Wakanda right there in Oakland. It's like, even, you know, you, you basically... Let the sins of the father or let the son pay for the sins of the father. And then like like T'Challa said, you created this monster in the process. So they were wrong as fuck. And then another thing with Killmonger is like, where was his mother? Where was his mother and how is that influencing his interaction with with women, with black women? And I don't care what nobody says. I mean, it's my opinion, but I feel like he was going to kill his girlfriend either way. Like the way that she died and she was saying sorry and everything. And he had no remorse on his face or anything when he shot her. But I'm thinking about how he laid out his plan. It was a little bit unpredictable about what was going to happen when he got to Wakanda. I just don't think that she was a part of that plan. I feel like. It was unpredictable, but he was also very confident that he was going to get everything that he wanted when he got there because he already knew about all the traditions and everything. Like literally everything he needed to know must have been in that book that he found that his father left with the I mean, had the coordinates and everything. So and he knew about the traditions. He knew about the challenge. I just don't feel like she had a place in his plans. I feel like he was going to kill her either way or at the very least or best, I should say, maybe he was going to like kick her out of the plane over wherever they were flying somewhere. He was going to kick her out of the plane with the parachute and be like, good luck, baby. But I don't think that she I don't think she was ever meant to make it to Wakanda. Plus, that's another thing. Another lesson with which we always you see this in every movie with a clear protagonist and antagonist. When you're on the bad guy side. You always got to keep your guard up because they always betray each other. <laughs> like it's you want. Sometimes you look at that and you wonder what's the appeal of being a bad guy because at some point somebody is going to betray you. Just when you think it's all good and you got away with everything, here comes somebody. Be like, oh nope, bitch, you got to go. So my last thought is, and. This is uh, something that I'm probably going to touch on again later. And I may have even touched on it before, but let T'Challa be a lesson in being intentional with your words. When he told Wakabi that claws slipped through their fingers, rather than saying something to the effect of an outside force helped him escape. But we're going after but we're going after that food. So don't worry. I feel like that would have made all the difference. Like, there were certain scenes in the movie where the way T'Challa says something, I think, made a situation worse. Like, had he come out the gate and said, we had Claw, somebody came out of nowhere and helped him escape. And then it goes back to what I said earlier. He knew exactly who helped him escape because he saw the ring. So, I don't know. I'm just, T'Challa, I mean, I'm on your side, but I have questions. I just have a few questions. So that is it for that. That is going to wrap up my uh, brief review and kind of really just analysis of Black Panther. Remember, guys, you can go to GaySideStories.com. That is the hub for information about this show. 
You can email me at gaysidestories at gmail.com if you want to get in contact with me. You can also DM me at gaysidestories on Twitter or Instagram, facebook.com slash gaysidestories. And there's also a Gay Side Story discussion group called hashtag GaySidePod. I didn't say it earlier, but please use the hashtag GaySidePod when you're listening. If you want to tweet anything, if you want to tweet about the show, if you just want to share the link, use that hashtag. <clears throat> Make sure you guys are subscribed wherever you get your podcast if you're not already. Rate on Apple Podcasts if you have a moment. I said this on Twitter and I've been retweeting it throughout the month. Black History Month is coming to a close. Black Panther is out. So I think it would be super dope if you leave some of your favorite black podcasts a review in iTunes. Just in honor of Black Panther and it being Black History Month. So go over and do that. And make sure that you're sharing the show with other people. I'm going to get back, like I said earlier, into the swing of things. Um, I think I have a good topic for next week. Uh, there may be a couple of guests on that one. We'll see how that coordinates. But I needed that week off. Like I just, I just needed the time. I needed to decompress. I needed to get my life together and all of that good stuff. Thank you for listening, everyone. You do not have to, but you do, and I am so appreciative. It still blows my mind that people come back and listen to this show every week, but I appreciate you more than you know, and hopefully you guys like still like what I'm doing, and the interaction is there, and the numbers, and we can continue on this journey, and if you have anything you want to contribute to the show, you have ideas for topics or stuff like that, Send them my way and we can see what's what. Thank you again. And as always, Wakanda forever.